internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. I'm joined today by Whitney and Melissa from Cults, Crimes, and Cabernet. Uh, I've learned a lot just in the 30 seconds before we went live. Melissa doesn't believe in science. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, she believes yeah. science is a myth. Uh, <laughs> please explain. <laughs> I really believe in some of it. <laughs> uh, just, yeah. It's an ongoing joke in my family because they're all super sciencey. While I am like, it, if things boggle my mind, I'm just like, it's not real. And science is something that I cannot wrap my head around all the time. <laughs> it's all a, of it, though. No. Yeah, it came up because uh, Erica is on the Zoom, and she's like, usually she's like working from home when she's on these, but she's like wearing a lab coat with her name on it and like holding up, and, and by the way, I nailed this, she's holding an Erlenmeyer flask <laughs> with some sort of substance in it. Um, brought up the science, the science conversation. Um, I'm, so I'm digging your guys' setup, mostly Whitney. Like you have, is that a giant stick? Is it a neon sign? What do you got going on back there? It is. It is a neon sign. I became obsessed with it after we met uh, Catherine Townsend at CrimeCon in Austin. Mm -hmm. And so it does all different things. It comes with a remote. It gets brighter. It gets less, less bright. (laughs) I can find where the thing goes. (laughs) And then, yeah. I, I I fell in love with it and I needed it immediately. So it was the first thing I bought when we moved into our new house and I had my own studio. I said, I don't care about the sound quality. I need a neon sign. And, and you we'll, have we'll it. work with for the other stuff. So. Yeah. And I feel really like low rent in my little studio here now compared to what you got going on there. <laughs> so wait, how did, how did Catherine lead you into a neon sign? At CrimeCon Austin, she had a neon sign on her backdrop. And Chris, Melissa's husband, actually had to help her set it up. And uh-huh. once it was set up, I was obsessed with the way it looked. And I said, I need it in the background of all of my videos moving forward. Gotcha. This year's Crime Con, she just brought her chihuahua with her. She brought the neon sign again. Yeah. Did she bring yeah. it again? <laughs> I didn't yeah. get a chance. I talked to her quite a bit. I didn't get a chance to see her booth this year. Yes. So, you know, this is one of the rare occasions where my scientist production manager, Erica, she, she, has, she knows very little about you. Um, you guys must keep things really on the DL on the uh, on the social medias. Either that or she just got lazy this week. Because um, all I have is that you met your husbands. You met through your husbands who were childhood friends. True or false? Mm-hmm. True. Okay. And then so like you're, the husbands go out and they're like they're bringing his wife. Or she's he's bringing his wife, and then you guys were just besties, immediate besties. Pretty much. Yeah. Hated each other. And then when you first met. Right. No, not at all. It took one meeting before Whitney and I were inseparable. I only met her about what, three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband retired from the military. We moved back to his hometown of Texas. I had known Jeff, uh, Whitney's husband, um, just because my husband and him were Facebook friends and that kind of thing. And, um, Finally, one day when we moved back, Whitney's like, oh, come out to her house. We could, you know, have dinner, that kind of thing. And then I think she had a book, like a true crime book in her house. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, 
do you like true crime? And she was like, oh my God, yes. And from that moment, we did nothing but talk true crime. Our husbands both went crap. Right. <laughs> do you say that your husband went back to his hometown of Texas? Well, well you know, it's, it's kind of a hometown. The whole state. <laughs> yes. The whole the entire uh, yes. state is no. his hometown. Well, the entire, like, it's its own <laughs> entity. I guess it's its own country. It's its own thing. So it's a very small town. He moved back to Wichita Falls. Okay. But most people don't know that. So I just say, hey, he moved back to Texas. That's where he's from. I think I know Wichita Falls. It's like north of Dallas, kind of on the Oklahoma border, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I know where that's That's at. where they're from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're two for two. You got an Erlenmeyer flask mm-hmm. and you know where Wichita Falls, Texas is? Look at you. Smart motherfucker. You must have been a scholar. <laughs> 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 what did your husband do in the military? Um, he did power production, so generators, um, any uh, solar, all that type of stuff, and that's what he does now that he's out. Nice. Which branch? Air Force. Air Force. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and Erica, Erica, she says this is really a terrible job, Erica. You're really bad at your job this week. Um, she says <laughs> <laughs> she says there are two dogs, but I'm not sure who they belong to: a golden retriever and an English bulldog. Mm-hmm. That's good. That sums up our Hold whole on. lives right here. That's what it does. <laughs> the husbands, the dogs, and we're both boy moms. If, if you just yes. throw in the boy moms mm-hmm. and then we obviously drink wine, you've got us all in a nutshell. That's, That's us. it. She did say they realized that they were both boy moms, loved wine, and were into true crime. And mm-hmm. oddly, Melissa, your birthday's March 7th. Yes, oddly, who else's it's birthday? That she knows that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I must have it's creepy like as shit. On like our social media, even <laughs> even when she can't find much, she always manages to slide one creepy fact in. Like, by the way, she's a Pisces, you know, or that's, whatever. <laughs> that's yeah, that's weird. That's yeah, not creeped out at all. I'm not right? keeping it a secret, but yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and it, her social security number is right. Yeah, bank account, <laughs> routing numbers. We have all that. Uh, just don't do much else. So I don't even have my last name on my social medias because I'm worried. But. Right, but your birthday. <laughs> That's on there. And your mother's yeah, maiden name also there. is on the social media. So, you know, anybody can <laughs> crack any password anywhere. Uh, so did you move around a lot with your husband being in the military? I did somewhat. He went a lot more places than I did, obviously. Uh, we met in New Mexico. We spent 10 years in Florida. And then we moved to Texas. And then we're back in Florida now. So a bit, nothing crazy. The fact that we got 10 years in Florida is absolutely amazing. Um, and we loved it. So that's why we're back. Nice. And what about you, Whitney? Where, are you guys both in Florida? No, I'm still in Texas. Okay. Born and raised my whole life. I live in Austin now. Uh, I did live in Wichita Falls for almost 15 years before we moved down here to Austin. And now we're with all the crazy people down here. Yeah. Austin was an interesting town when we were there uh, for CrimeCon last year. It's the first mm-hmm. time I've been. It's, it was it was a lot of fun, but it was like you could walk like in, in just in just a brisk walk. You could go from like the cool hipster college towny area to feeling very unsafe very quickly. It's changed a little bit since CrimeCon Austin because a lot of legislation has passed where homeless aren't allowed downtown anymore. And it's cleaned up a little bit downtown, but it's still not very safe on 6th Street or Rainy Street. That's Mm -hmm. just kind of where the crime happens. Right. Yeah, there was actually, we were, um, we did a big meetup in the Jackalope Bar. And Mm -hmm. it was like the next night there was like a mass shooting outside of that bar. Yep. Yeah, so we just barely missed that. We don't go downtown often. We like to go to, you know, the breweries that kind of, there's like 187 breweries here in Austin. Mm -hmm. So we just brewery hop around the exterior. We don't go downtown very often. 
So tell me a little bit about your life, Whitney. So you've, you've bounced around a little bit. What do you, what do you do besides the podcast? What don't I do besides the podcast is really <laughs> a better question. So before we started the podcast, I was a real estate agent. Okay. I am in that craze. And I've taken a step back from it to focus only on the podcast since January. We went full-time podcasting. So this is my life now. I was a stay-at-home mom. I've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. My life is boring compared to Melissa's. I (laughs) didn't do a lot of traveling. (laughs) Typical, you know, a lot of PTA. Just all that kind of stuff. Boy mom. Yeah. Boy mom. Nice. I'm a boy Boy dad. Well, I have four, but I have three boys and one girl. Wow. Yeah. Eek. Yeah, so with the three boys. I can't imagine having more than two boys. They're I'm good with two. <laughs> yeah. I'm good with two. It's a, it's a mess. They're assholes. And, but they were spread out. You know, I have a, a 21-year-old stepson and a 17-year-old son and an 11-year-old son. So it's like we just, you know, every couple of years oh. we kick one of them out of the house. Oh, that's oh. good, at least. Yeah. That's, that's not bad. Yeah, we have a spare bedroom now for the first time, like, ever. Because, you know, if you can imagine with four kids, there's... Uh-huh. Yeah, there's, we don't there's do no sleepovers. <laughs> you know, there's nowhere for anybody to sleep. Uh, so, Melissa, what what did you do before being podcasting full time? I actually was an account manager, business analyst for eBay before I I quit my job in January to podcast full time. So. That's awesome. I can I can relate with quitting yeah. a job to podcast full time. And you guys, yeah, like came into the uh, ranks of podcasting. We were able to do it full time pretty quickly because you were one of the. Now you guys are. I I I kind of lumped them in as the pandemic podcasts with all the ones that started during oh, 20, yes. 2020. Did did the pandemic have to do with the launch of your podcast? Absolutely, it so much did. <laughs> <laughs> So we became best friends because we both enjoyed the true crime genre, but because of the pandemic, we kind of quarantined together. We quarantined obviously in our own homes, but then every Wednesday we would have family dinners and one week we'd go over to Melissa's house or they'd come over to our house and we would be able to still have that moment of camaraderie Mm -hmm. in the pandemic, but it still be a safe kind of environment. And we would talk about, well, what'd you listen to today? Who'd you listen to today? What cases have, were you talking about today. And then one day we had been day drinking and I convinced Melissa <laughs> to just record us talking about it. And the rest is history. We started very rough in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. It echoed. The kids are screaming in the background. There's those episodes are still out there. We haven't replaced them yet where it's on the list to do, yes. but about episode six or seven, I believe it mm-hmm. was, we decided to move into Melissa's bedroom to where at least there's soft surfaces and we don't echo quite as much. Uh-huh. And we've just grown from there. So we've only been going a year and a half. It'll be two years in September. That's awesome. What a quick, like you guys just, just, just moved up so quickly in the, in the ranks of the podcasts and and you guys, and you put together a great, like I haven't listened to the first shows with everybody has those first shows where (laughs) it sounds like shit and we don't know how to edit and, and there's kids Mm -hmm. in the background and all that. Um, But like, you guys have come a long way really fast when you listen to your your episodes. Now, who does all of your your editing and are you guys do it yourself? <laughs> Whitney does it. I do it. Mm-hmm. Nice. And and how did you learn to edit? I went to college for MassCom. So I had a little bit of, I don't know, I, I dabbled a bit mm-hmm. learning from college. I, not necessarily audio specifically. I did a lot more news editing mm-hmm. than audio specific, but I knew the bare basics to edit in GarageBand and that's where I started. And that's still where I, where I edit with is 
very simple in garage band. I mean, we have a little bit fancier equipment, you know, we've upgraded to sure mics. We've, we've got mixers now we've, we've slowly grown a little bit from our cheapo Amazon $25 mics, mm-hmm. USB mics, but I dabbled in editing. That's awesome. And now I'm trying to learn how to do better. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned in, um, uh, with audacity from a 12 year old on YouTube that taught me how to edit when I first started the podcast. Nice. Yeah. And we still edit in audacity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can learn anything on YouTube is what I tell my kids. Yep. If you want to know something, go search it on YouTube. <laughs> it's and so mm-hmm. specific. Like I, like my son's car, like had the, the thermostat was bad on it and I was like, well, let's go get the part and I'll change it. I looked at it and I'm like, I don't know how to work on cars anymore because they changed them. Uh, but it's like, you can look up, like, I need to know how to change a thermostat in a 2014 Chevy Cruze. And it's like, oh, here's six videos on a step-by-step guide and exactly mm-hmm. how to do that weird thing you're trying to do. Uh, it, it's, yeah, and it's, it's going to be like hidden behind the passenger seat floorboard, yeah. not anywhere you think it's going to be. Yeah. Speaking of which, I also found out this year that if you ever have to change the spark plugs on a Jeep Wrangler, just drive the Jeep. Off a cliff <laughs> because it's you, you wouldn't think that would be something that would be very difficult to change, but you have to tear the entire motor apart to get to the spark plugs on it, um, which turned oh, out to be no, quite wow. a, a two day project that was supposed to be a quick little tune up. Um, it's funny. You guys were talking about the pandemic. I was like thinking back to that. Like we did the same thing. Like you said, you got like a semi safe environment. Like I think so many of us had our like we called it our quarantine circle. Like we were quarantined, Mm -hmm. but there was like two other families that were also quarantining that we would hang out with. And that was the only people we would hang out with. But we were like, you guys are all good. We're good. Nobody's been around anybody else. And then we would go, you know, so we had some bit of socialization still like get together with those groups. And then like other friends would be like, hey, you want to come over for a drink? I'm like, I'm sorry. You're just, you're not in our circle. You're just not part of us. (laughs) You're tainted. Sorry. You're right outside. (laughs) I mean, but it's people you trust. People that like, you know, haven't been out and about. I mean, not that there was really much to do in that first summer of 2020. Right. But it's still, you you trusted certain people. And that was definitely Whitney and I. I did tell her that day, I would absolutely never do any live events. That was my stipulation. Like, okay, we'll record. I really am against all of this whole podcast thing, (laughs) but I said no live events. And literally we've done probably up to 10 now. And I'm like, what the heck? That's what I said no to, (laughs) but it's fine. I've, I've grown. (laughs) (laughs) We're polar opposites in our personality. I'm very extroverted. I want to meet all the people, talk to all the people all the time. And Melissa's like, I'll talk to you about true crime, but I'm also going to stand over here in the corner and watch from afar. Right. I have to feel your vibe first. And then I'm like, okay, we could talk through crime. That was always me and Mike, Mike, who was our, you know, he was kind of my partner and editor for six years. He just recently moved on to another job, but I'm like, like I thrive on doing live events. Like I like just the energy from the people in front of me, the more, the better. And he would just, he's like, I don't want cameras on. I want, just give me i I'm fine. As long as there's a microphone in our dark little studio. And that's where that's, that's my jam. But the pandemic, but Melissa, the pandemic must've been easier for you to navigate, not, you know, believing in science and all. Um, just like, it's just <laughs> yes, like, it's, just like, it's yes. not real. It's not I still even. got my, I got my vaccine. Yeah. I, was, I was good to go, but I was perfectly okay staying at home. I already worked from home, yeah. um, except for my kids were there all the time. So that was kind of a bummer. But Yeah. See, for, for us, it was like, we were just, just the other day, my wife and I were talking and she's like, I kind of missed the lockdown. Cause like. We have two teenagers. We have, I have a 16 year old daughter and a 17 year old son. 
And, you know, they're both driving now and they're just out and about all the time and they're hardly ever home. And it's like when they're younger, like you just want to, you just want them to go somewhere because they just require so much energy. And then when they're older, when there's like, oh, they're kind of fun to hang out with now, they're never home. And it was like for, we had that whole, that whole six months where they just were home all the time and we watched movies and did puzzles and it's, it's like she said, she said, I would do the lockdowns again if we could go out to dinner. She missed going out to dinner. Yes. That was the, that, I would have to agree with her. On that. I will say the greatest thing that came from the lockdown in Texas was they allowed alcohol to be delivered. Yes. Oh, that nice. wasn't a thing too. in Texas until the pandemic. Oh, so now you can just have wine just dropped right at your door. Drop yeah. Right. Or like if you order Mexican food, they'll can bring you a margarita with it. That's awesome. Now, now, so I take it Wichita because when I've been in East Texas, I've come across, you know, working, I've come across several counties that were like dry counties where you couldn't find a that's still a common weird anywhere. that's still a common thing in texas but the town i grew up in wasn't wichita falls it was a small town outside of wichita about an hour away uh-huh. and it was dry until after i graduated high school in the early 2000s yeah i was in like in uh, smith county which is far pretty far east texas that was like mm-hmm. i would be i would be working there for a week and it's like you know after you work a 14 hour day you're like man i just want to go get a drink and a steak and, <laughs> and call it a night and it's like you couldn't. We found there was like one bar, but it wasn't a bar. It was a club. Like you had to go pay five dollars to become a member of the club. Mm-hmm. It was their way to get around the the no alcohol thing because there was just nowhere, yep. anywhere where you could get a drink. And then some counties like that we I was stayed in like there was just nothing. Like there was just no. You'd go to Applebee's mm-hmm. and you couldn't get a drink. Yeah, you'd have to drive twenty miles away to get a case of beer. Mm-hmm. I just can't live like that, <laughs> guys. I I don't want to live in a world where it's like that. Right. Yeah. I noticed the the cup you're drinking out of looks an awful lot like my wife's wine glasses or it's early. Oh, this is just a water glass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't drink mommy's (laughs) drink. That kind of, (laughs) that's my wife's rule. Becky Becky always tells the kid, don't ever, ever drink out of mommy's drink because you never know what's in there. Mm -hmm. You don't. Exactly. It's a good rule. It's just like good hygiene, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We did just go through a pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, but that's all forgotten. It's last night my my I was I was at one of my son's baseball games and my daughter was home and texted me and wanted me to take her out for ice cream, which you know, if your if your teenager wants to do any and they know it too. They manipulate the shit out they of you. They know it. Like she knows that I'll jump at a chance to do something with one of my teenagers. She's she's like, "Will you take me out for ice cream when you get home?" I'm like, sure. So I took her out and she got in my truck and I had a Gatorade that I was drinking out of and she's like, "Oh, is this still cold?" Yep, and then chugged my entire Gatorade, which she thought was hilarious. And I thought I was like, so we're just, we're done with the pandemic then that's over with. We're just, mm-hmm. just chugging right out of somebody else's bottle. Yep. I kind of feel that way about crime con this year is <laughs> yes. it was just, okay. So we're not even worried about having, saving some space in between us. Everyone was crammed right. in and they were all up in our face. Let me come take a picture. You don't want to do it from afar. You want to be right next to me. Okay. Let's do this, I guess. Yeah. You know, a bunch of people like got COVID at crime con. I yeah. did. Did you? <laughs> So I had it right after. Yes, you did. Um, I saw Billy Jensen post that that he mm-hmm. got COVID at CrimeCon. Jim Clemente got COVID at CrimeCon. I don't think anybody. My husband got it. Did it? Yeah, I I, I didn't know anybody that got that got it real bad. Like got real sick. Oh no, I didn't. Um, but like yeah, it was like it was it was it was a spreader for sure. There was and, and poor it Jim who was like immune compromised. Um, because he's had cancer. Like he was like super careful. Like he wouldn't shake anybody's hand. He was like a fist bumper. It ever mm-hmm. and ever I was around him all weekend because we spoke together quite a bit. So 
it was everybody that came up on and shake his hand. He's like, I don't, I just uh, do the fist bump. But then we'd go to a meet and greet and 50 people would like, you know, hug him and latch onto him to take photos. Mm-hmm. And, and then it spread all around. So you guys, your husband, Whitney, and then you, Melissa, both both mm-hmm. got it while you were there. Mm-hmm. I did. I did. I ended up testing positive. What It was like on day five after he had it. Uh-huh. But I never had symptoms. I'm just the asymptomatic person. So I was stuck at home in quarantine with no symptoms to do nothing. And it was the worst. Right. I would rather have symptoms and lay in bed than be stuck in a room with no nothing wrong. Right. <laughs> Very boring. So when you guys uh, decided to start the podcast, which sounds like it was all Whitney's idea and convinced you, Melissa, to do, to do the podcast. <laughs> That's how it went. <laughs> um, for, you know, one of the first things everybody's got to do is come up with a name. You came up with Cults, Crimes, and Cabernet. Whose idea was the name? Where'd that come from? Well, essentially, we just, (laughs) okay, it did come from Whitney, but what we did was we just wrote down a bunch of words that we liked and things that were related to Uh true crime, um, or just, you know, some of our hobbies, which happened to be Cabernet. (laughs) And um, then Whitney is crazy with, like, she's so creative, and that's not me as well. (laughs) So she's like, what about this? And I'm like, that's perfectionism, because we didn't. We have a fascination with cults as well. We love drinking wine. So we wanted to be, hey, this is a brand that literally can open us to so many things. But what's really funny is we didn't drink Cabernet at the time. We, we, were, we were strict Pinot Grigio girls. We didn't really like to branch out. I mean, boxed Pinot Grigio. We were not good fancy stuff, right? by any means. Yeah, you the know, Franzia. Stuff. <laughs> the good stuff. Stuff you and, always have on hand yes. is what it would be. Like, I always have it. Like, right. So Colts Crimes and Pinot Grigio didn't have the right ring to it. No. And so we just kept going through. We tried Chardonnay. We were going Rosé. I mean, we went down the whole list. And then Cabernet stuck. And then I dyed my hair red. And now it all makes sense. Right. Now, do you guys like still secretly drink Pinot, even though the podcast Uh, name is Cabernet? Rarely. So you you went with it. Like you just sent it. You're just all Cabernet now. Well, well no, we don't we, only drink that. We we pick a different wine every single week, one we've never had before. We rate it in our own little non-connoisseur ways and mm-hmm. um, kind of explain, like, you know, just for everyday moms, like, hey, this was $15 at Target. It's something you can afford, go out, have it. And I think our podcast, we wanted it to be like um, just a group of girlfriends getting together, especially when they couldn't during the pandemic and sure. just talking about true crime, having a glass of wine. Um, hanging out and it definitely evolved from there because we're much more action oriented now and we tend to focus more on the unsolved and missing cases but at first like that's all we wanted to do is just drink wine and talk through crime yeah and Mm -hmm. and that quick was it the plan from the beginning or did it just evolve quickly because you guys actually like take action it was like once a quarter you go to a location where there's an unsolved crime and help the case we're going to talk about today the brandon lawson case you played a Actually, we're part of a search party that went out for that case. So, you, you know, you, you've, you definitely now are kind of podcasting with purpose. You have a mission for what you're trying to do. Was that the thought from the beginning? Like you'll weave that in or did you just no. end up there? When we started, it was just a hobby. We sat at the table. We talked about different cases. I mean, we started with the big ones, Israel Keys, BTK. We did all the big ones uh-huh. because that's what people talked about. And then we love to travel, but how do you travel in a pandemic? So we started going state by state through these cases. And then we decided to actually go somewhere. How do we actually go somewhere and do good? Mm -hmm. And it was a very quick evolution. And I, 
if you don't believe in science and you believe in a greater purpose or that there is a God out there, whatever your beliefs may be, this was our fate, our path, because we will not stop. Right. I don't care if we make money at this. We will never stop advocating for these families now. And everything has kind of fallen into place, like you said, very quickly for the podcast, that this is just what we were meant to do. So the evolution was very organic and it's just amazing. That's awesome. No clue that this is where we were going to be. No clue. (laughs) We really thought our four family members were going to be the only people that ever listened to us. (laughs) Right. It's so it, it, it's it's such a common story in the it, it's my story you know I started the Serial Dynasty as a book club of sorts to talk about serial because no one would talk to me about it anymore, um, and it was it was a similar journey to where pretty soon I'm like well instead of just talking about this I want to do something about it and then people you know next thing you know it's you know seven years later it's been. You know, it became truth and justice, and we're working on wrong, actual wrongful conviction cases and trying to make a difference. So, I, I I I really appreciate and admire the work. Anytime anybody's doing the podcasting, and you do it in an entertaining way, you guys do, but you're also trying to accomplish something while you're doing it, and it's it's admirable. There's not a whole lot of shows out there that do it, but there's enough where you see when it's just the certain types of people get into doing this work and all of a sudden just talking about something isn't enough and you want to take a chance, take a step forward and try to do something about it. And and with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and get into the case we want to talk about today. It's the uh, the disappearance of Brandon Lawson. It happened in, in San Angelo, San Angelo, San Angelo, San Angelo. Now I can't say it. San Angelo. San Angelo, Texas. San- Angela. Yep. <laughs> in 2013. Uh, so I'll let you guys take it away and, and, and tell us about this case. So I'll just start with the kind of a brief summary on what happened that day. Um, Brandon was had a common law wife, Ledessa. They had four children. And this is just your normal everyday family. They had arguments. There was a lot going on. A baby was sick. Um, Ledessa and Brandon started having an argument on um August 8th, I believe the date was. And he wanted to just get out of the house, get away for a bit. He wanted to kind of separate himself from the situation, not to cause any more issues. So he told his wife, hey, I'm going to go to my father's house up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This is about four hours away from where he lived. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of late at night. Um, He leaves his house around 11.53. And he's driving north, essentially. Um through a town up towards a town called Bront. He doesn't even get 30 minutes outside of from his home when he runs out of gas. Um, He kind of pulls over. He makes a few calls. His wife, Ledessa, actually went and put her cell phone in the vehicle to charge it because Brandon had taken the only charger that went to the house. So Mm -hmm. she had to go put her phone out there in order to charge it. Well, he tries to call her a couple of times telling her he's out of gas, but she's not able to answer because the phone's in there. So he eventually calls his brother. His brother's like, okay, yeah, I'll bring you some gas Um, because it's not that far away. So his brother also lives in San Angelo as well. Um, All in the meantime that his brother is trying to bring the gas can, Brandon Lawson calls 911. And this 911 call has been analyzed like no other 911 call. It's mm-hmm. there's so many analysis of it. Talk about the words that he's saying because it a lot of it's garbled. You can't really understand everything. But we know for sure he's asking for the police. It kind of sounds like someone's chasing him. Um, there's a few things that make it very 
unusual, we can say. So then um, eventually his brother gets there and he's on the phone with Brandon. Brandon went into what they they call the woods. However, woods are different in Texas because mm-hmm. I've lived many other places that I'm like, okay, these really aren't woods, but right. <laughs> it's mesquite trees, uh-huh. mesquite it's trees, brush. cactus. Yeah. Um, so Brandon's telling his brother like, hey, this cop just pulled up because he called 911. Don't forget that. But now that the police officer is there, Brandon doesn't want to come out of these woods. Um, So he's telling his brother, like, hey, I'll come out. I just want the cop to be gone. So at this point, Kyle, which is Brandon's brother, tells the cop, like, hey, I'm on the phone with him. He must have, like, you know, walked up to the gas station. It's fine. I'll wait for him. So police officer leaves. And at this point, Kyle's, like, calling him, like, letting him know, hey, the cop is gone. And Brandon's not answering his phone. Um, He's yelling out the window for him, like, hey, Brandon, you can come out now. Brandon does not come out. So uh, Kyle and his girlfriend wait about 45 minutes trying to call him, figure out where, you know, he's at. He never comes out. So they're like, hey, we got to get home. It's middle of the night. We'll come back in the morning. I'm sure he's going to come get his gas can. They -hmm. left it in the back of his vehicle. So they, they leave. They come back early in the morning. The gas can's still in the back of the truck. Brandon's never been back to the truck. And now things are getting a little serious. Like, mm-hmm. what ha- the heck happened? Um, Ledessa is notified at this point. She comes out there with all four of their kids because, I mean, she's a mom. What is she going to do with them? And she starts just going up in that road, screaming for Brandon. It is a two-lane road. And it's not... Like rural is the fact that there's nothing out there. There's it's almost like hunting area where there's mm-hmm. occasionally like a, a shack, right. really not like a house house. And so they they continue just trying to look for him. And this is over a weekend. And I think it's the Monday after that they finally report him missing when they have no leads on where he's at. And his truck is there. Mm-hmm. It ends up getting towed that next morning around when Ledessa comes back because it's slightly in the road over like the white line mm-hmm. where it um, where other cars could hit it. And it's right after a curve. So it's very imperative that they get it moved because it is dangerous. Right. That's the bare basics. Brandon was bare never basic. seen again after that. That's the bare basics. There's so many questions revolving around this case. One, uh, the cop that came out was not actually looking for Brandon at that time. That was the second call to the police that came out to where Brandon is. The first cop went north of Bront Mm -hmm. because there's next to no cell phone service out there. So it was very difficult to understand his exact location. The call's cutting in and out. They couldn't get him back on the phone to find out where he is. It's a very rural area as well. There's four deputies that run like a hundred mile radius out here. Uh Very, very small. And the 911 calls don't even go to the sheriff's office. They go to a local nursing home. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that this is not a- allowed anymore. This is highly illegal now. They've mm-hmm. changed the entire 911 system. But it would go to a local nursing home where there is someone at the desk 24 hours a day. They're not trained in how to handle these situations. This d- desk representative, I believe she was a CNA, a certified mm-hmm. nurse's assistant, is the one that now calls the police to send someone out there. And she says he's outside of Bront. He ran out of gas. He doesn't need medical assistance because in the 911 call, she says, do you need emergency services or do you need police? And he says, no, I need cops. Mm-hmm. And so she just sends a police officer out, excuse me, a sheriff's officer out. One goes north of Bront, Texas, which Bront is one blinking light and a gas station. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. it. 
There's not a grocery store. It's maybe two blocks wide. I mean, it's very, very, very small. I think 150 people live there. Wow. He goes north of Bront and he drives around for an hour and does not find any abandoned vehicle. At this point, he assumes that that person got gas. Someone else stopped to help him and moves on, calls calls off the call and goes back to his uh, station or whatever. So this 18-wheeler passes by where Brandon's truck ran out of gas. And this is a very hot topic of where Brandon's truck was left. When, normally, when you run out of gas, what I would assume, you let it coast to a stop. Mm-hmm. Usually. Right. Now, the side of this road is flat. You can you can park on it. There is not a ditch. It is not treacherous in any way. His vehicle stops on the shoulder with the bed of his pickup still sticking into the lane mm-hmm. after a curve. So he came to an abrupt stop. Okay. Most likely. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would, or I would attempt to push my car out of the road. Right. In, in my opinion, he didn't do that. 18 wheelers travel up and down this road frequently. There's a lot of oil rigs out there. That's kind of the traffic that is seen on this highway. Not a lot of just passing through motorists. It's a lot of 18 wheeler work trucks, that type of traffic. An 18 wheeler comes around the corner, notices the truck is in the lane because he had to physically swerve into the opposite lane to Mm -hmm. miss it. By the time he makes it, um, what is it, five miles, not even five miles, up the road to the gas station? Up the road to the gas station in Bront, he stops to get gas. He goes in and he's telling the clerk there, hey, there's a truck in the road back there. I had to swerve to miss it. And she's like, oh, you should probably call that in. That doesn't sound like it's very safe. Right. That eight, that driver calls the police and a second cop is dispatched. Now, all in, in between this time, between the first cop being dispatched from the 911 call to when the 18-wheeler comes through is a about 15 to 20 minute window. It's a very, very short window of time mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of crime acts, crime activity. Yeah. Now, when, when Brian's brother was there talking to him, did, did he get the impression that Brandon, like they were at his truck? Did he get the impression that Brandon could see the police out there like he was close by? Yes. Yes. Because he, he says, I can see him. And there's mm-hmm. there's some cryptic language. I, I say it's cryptic because I don't understand the terms. You know, they talk about, oh, five O's here, run. Or he says, staper, which is a big topic of discussion. They think it's state trooper put together and it uh-huh. cut out. There, I mean, there's a million theories about Brandon and how they the police have doctored this 911 call, which makes zero sense whatsoever. But the reason he didn't want to come out is because he was talking with a judge at the time about a warrant he had out for his arrest, an expired warrant. And he had just done some time in prison to work off another warrant. Uh And he thought he had cleared everything, but it was about a week and a half before that he had learned that he had this warrant that was not cleared in his prison time. And that's why he didn't want to come out while a police officer was there. He was afraid they would arrest him. And there were some concerns about drugs too, right? That that he had, Uh uh, somebody said he had taken meth that night or something. It's not confirmed that he had taken meth that night, but that is one of the reasons him and his wife were getting in fights is Mm -hmm. she was afraid that he had relapsed. He had been clean uh, for a while up to that point because he had just started a new job. He had just passed a drug test and he was supposed to start it the next week. Uh So it's possible between the clean drug test and when he was this night, he relapsed at some point. Sure. It's never been confirmed. So was there much, I, w- I want to get into the search party you guys were a part of, but was there much of a search party in the area back then? Once he was finally reported missing a few days later, was there much search that went on? 
Not much by law Not enforcement immediately. at all. Um, Ledessa, the wife, she ended up securing um, a helicopter or something mm-hmm. like that to go over the land. I know one of the deputies went out with a four-wheeler trying to look around, see if they can find anything. He didn't turn up anything. But that was basically it from law enforcement's standpoint right at that moment. Because they had zero idea this was foul play. This was a truck on the side of the road, a guy missing. That was it. A 26-year-old at that standpoint. Um, They assumed like, hey, he's an adult. He can go where he wants. And they did not think he was in that area um, still. But Ledessa did try. They did a few foot searches. Um, they they brought dogs out at one time, correct, mm-hmm. Whitney? Mm-hmm. And yes. um, an aerial search. They did a drone search once Jason Watts got involved. Um, but that was basically it. It wasn't a huge, hey, let's go out and search for him because really nobody thought he was still there besides the family. His pickup was never processed as a crime scene again oh, because no. foul play was not expected at this was not thought at this point. They did do an infrared search looking for heat signatures. I know at one point they weren't able to find anything. And like Melissa said out there, it's kind of barren land Mm -hmm. because people are there very infrequently. There's no houses that people are at every single day. It's a deer lease. So people come that very small window, excuse me, of the year to come and hunt and Mm -hmm. that's it. And so they didn't really reach out to landowners and say, hey, can we come look on your property? We've got a guy that's missing. Most of the people out there didn't even know there was a missing man for a very long time. Right. So jump to come up to what, like eight and a half years later, this January, mm-hmm. there's, you know, Facebook pages that are that are built. There's one uh, called Help Find Brandon Lawson uh, that his friend's family had set up. And then this January, so we're eight and a half years later. After he'd gone missing, there's a search party organized, and you guys went out and participated in that. Before we get into that, a year prior to that, January 15th, 2021, is when we actually were the went out there on site. That was our first case that we actually got hands-on and went out to the location where he went missing. That's where we met Jason Watts, and he showed us where he where the truck was, where he went missing. And that same weekend, Jason was meeting with the landowners of who we will then search this follow the this January that just passed Mm -hmm. and just trying to check it out, see if it could potentially be an area that Brandon could have gotten lost on. They do it like an initial walk around, but because of the weather and things like that, there's a very tight window of when these properties can be searched because of the foliage. If it's not dead, you're not going to see anything. If it's wet, you're not going to see anything. So it's, there's a very tight window of when we could do a foot search out there. And unfortunately with schedules, it was a whole year before we were able to get out there. Mm-hmm. And it just happened again, however you want to put this out there in the universe, fate, whatever you want to call it, that it was a year to the day that we went out there the first time that we okay. got to do this search. So January 15th of 2022, Jason Watts had a, had organized a search and we told him if he ever needed volunteers, we would be there. Just tell us what date, what time we'll be there. And everything was stacked against us that day. It was 30 degrees. It was 50 mile an hour winds. It was horrible conditions, but we knew that this was the only weekend we could do it. One, Melissa was moving to Florida that following weekend. And this was the only weekend we could all get together. And by all, there was a whopping nine of us. Mm -hmm. And it was me, Melissa, and Melissa's husband were a third of that. Oh, wow. (laughs) There wasn't a whole lot of people involved in this search and it was a hundred acre plot. So we knew we had a lot of ground to cover in a very short amount of time. So you guys start the search and then you ended up actually finding something. 
We did. We did. We, um, it this? was, yeah, towards the end of the day, um, we had covered maybe about 50 acres and we were all getting pretty tired. We weren't going to have much sun left. And so Jason made the decision like, hey, there's this other little section of land that's not kind of as treacherous as the other part of it much more flat, not any cactus, that type of thing. So he's like, let's do that. That way we can kind of get that out of the way. And literally once we get over there, it's probably within three or four minutes of walking this area that um, my husband finds a um, clothing. And out here, there's absolutely zero signs of humans. There's Mm -hmm. no trash. There's no, so finding this, we're all like, holy crap. Like, so, um, and it was completely white on the top. And so we took a stick sort of flipped it over so we can see it. And it actually was um, camouflage shorts, which is exactly what Brandon was wearing the night he went missing. And then within a few moments, another search party member found an um, Nike Air Max white tennis shoe and it was sort of in the mud, but you can see very plainly that it still said Nike Air Max. And those are the exact shoes that Brandon was wearing. And this was probably 30 feet from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, And so we do pins on our phones. That way we know like, hey, this location, we have someone standing with the shorts, someone standing with the the shoe. My husband keeps looking around. I don't know if it's his military training or what, but then he finds the other shoe um, not too far from that. And at this point, we're like, okay, we need to stop. We need to call law enforcement because the absolutely, the thing that we really never thought would happen is we found something that proved that Brandon was there. Mm -hmm. And um, it was Jason Watts that ended up calling um, the private investigator that's on the case. And he went ahead and called the sheriff's office. And this is what is in my mind is crazy. So at this point we all go back to the vehicles. We don't want to contaminate anything else. We go back to the vehicles, the deputy that came there the night that Brandon went missing was the exact same deputy that came here with us the day that we did the search. And no, I'm no like kidding. eight and a half years later, it's the same exact deputy. Like wow. weird. Uh, Whitney and I did not tell him we were podcasters because he doesn't like podcasters. <laughs> so <laughs> right. we've just been really, very oh. vocal in his descent of podcasters. Yeah. So, and then ultimately they found, uh, human remains as well, right? Did you guys find that or the law enforcement did after? What happened is when that sheriff, sheriff's deputy came out, he did say that he was confident that these are items that could be connected to Brandon. They tagged it for evidence. Then they called in a Texas Ranger who also came out, said the same thing. And they asked us to not release any information until they could conduct their own search. Uh, we had to vacate the the land at that time, which this is after dark, this is nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. We all leave the location. We did ask for permission to contact his family. To, they knew we were out there. They were actually supposed to be there with us that night, but Bladessa had come down with COVID and his dad just did not need to be out in that weather. Um, mm-hmm. He's just too old for that kind of terrain. And he just didn't need to be sitting in his truck all day long. So we were able to contact them that we did find something. It was two weeks after that, that the Texas Rangers were able to go out and conduct their own search. We were notified around lunch that they were out there that day. By five o'clock, we had a phone call that they had found human remains and that it would be sent for DNA confirmation, but that they were confident that it was Brandon based on the items that we found, the location of everything. 
And the fact that we had not found anything else related to humans out there, uh, there wasn't a single trap piece of trash. Mm-hmm. I mean, we found a lot of animal predation and a lot of animal bones, but not a single piece of evidence that related to any other humans out there. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we are waiting for UNT to finalize the DNA confirmation, and then we will know. Well, that's that's absolutely amazing that you guys went from, you know, hey, let's get together and have some wine and chat about true crime to you're out in the search party that may have solved an eight and a half year old case. Uh, we'll be definitely be anxiously awaiting for those results. I think I've met Jason was at CrimeCon last year and this year, right? I think I met mm-hmm. him both. Yes. Uh, both times. Uh, but if you want to hear more about this case and many others, their names are Whitney and Melissa, and the podcast is called Cult Crimes and Cabernet. Check it out. Could be your next big true crime binge, ladies. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me and also for all the hard work you're doing on the podcast and these investigations. Well, thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely. True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.